you know, everybody that's watched video online at some point has encountered progressive download, especially today. I remember watching videos on eBombs World <laughs> way back when, and you know, the, the initial like view links were literally click the thumbnail to watch the video, and it would just give you a link to then download some QuickTime file. And thus is born adaptive streaming. I'm Matt, the organizer of the SF Video Technology Meetup and the Demux Conference. And I'm Steve, creator of VideoJS, the open source video player. And I'm Phil, the director of Media Technologies Engineering at Brightcove, previously building BBC iPlayer in London. And you're listening to Demuxed, a podcast for and by engineers working with video. Demux is brought to you by HeavyBit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. We're always looking for topics, so if you have any suggestions or just want to tell us how wrong we are, you can find us on Twitter at Demuxed. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the Demuxed podcast. Today we have Andrew Sinclair joining us. Why don't you give everybody a quick intro, Andrew? Hey, hi everyone, I'm Andrew. I'm the a video engineer uh, working at Brightcove. I've been, I guess, working in the video space for probably about 10 years now and I guess a variety of roles across broadcast, you know, infrastructure, web apps um, and other general things. Uh, mostly in the last few years I've been focusing on Dash, so um, which I believe is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, perfect. So real quick before we jump in, as Andrew said, we're going to be covering Dash, um, and we'll we'll go briefly into like a high level overview, uh, but also talk about exciting things that have happened in the last few weeks, um, or as exciting as Dash revelations can be. Um, <laughs> but uh, just to give a quick high level overview about some other stuff that's going on, Demux tickets are officially on sale. So if you didn't hear before, the date is set for October thirteenth. Once again, the foundation of open media standards will be the day before on the 12th. Demux.com. Demux.com. That is probably an important thing to know. Mm. <laughs> All the links you need are there. Uh, so yeah, let's let's start off by giving a quick primer for everybody that's not involved or knows a lot about the segmented streaming world. Let's talk about what exactly Dash is. So somebody want to give us a brief overview on Dash? Um, yeah, I can kick us off there. So I mean, Dash has been an, an evolution of a whole variety of standards. Now, I was thinking about this yesterday, I think really going way back to the first of the adaptive bit rates was probably Move Networks, which is going a fair way back now. Everyone was quite excited all about, about that. And uh, Move came and exploded onto the scene and then quietly disappeared after a few years of trying as no one really <laughs> caught on with the adaptive world and have never been heard of since. I think they got acquired or something. I don't know if anyone else can remember what happened to Move, but what happened next, I guess, is some of the you know the bigger guys started to develop their own formats in that space. Um, probably the most notable ones to come out of the adaptive landscape was obviously Apple's HLS the Adobe HDS and Microsoft Smooth Streaming. And, you know, look, they had all, all stuck around for a fair while and had all their, you know, pros and cons, mostly apart from Apple attempting to be slightly non-proprietary. The rest were all fairly proprietary standards and the best way to get the information on them initially was to reverse engineer. There was you know, a few other components that contributed to Dash, but I guess the good thing that came out is eventually everyone got together, well, at least 
Well, actually, initially Apple were part of the party with the Dash um, formulation and got together and I guess started creating the Dash standard. And I think as anyone has ever experienced the evolution of a standard, it can mm. certainly take some time. Wait, Apple, Apple was initially involved with the Dash IF? Or is this pre-Dash IF? I think this is pre-Dash IF. This would be into the formulation of the, you know, the initial the ISO standards work. For, for anybody that isn't aware, Dash IF is the Dash Industry Forum. So that's, that's what Andrew was referring to, uh, talking about kind of everybody coming together and, and working on this standard. Like as, as we know it today, it has been kind of iteration by this group of people called the Dash IF that's made up by Microsoft, the Alliance of Open Media, which involves Google, mm-hmm. yeah. Akamai, and a bunch of other big names. Yeah, because if you, if you look at the actual Dash spec, it, you know, a transport stream is a, a valid subformat. Basically, you can use the Dash manifest with TSs. Basically, I guess we should go into a little bit about what's what segmented streaming really is. Yeah, and, and take, a, take a little bit more step back. Yeah, and I guess you know everybody that's watched video online at some point has encountered progressive uh, progressive download, especially today. So you know that's there's an MP4 in a video element somewhere, and then your browser can buffer that as much as it can um, and just plays it back. But the browser handles all the playback, uh, assuming that the file has a move atom and that the server that's hosting it supports something called byte range requests, then your browser will just request bits of the file as it needs it. <laughs> it's basically like you have a player, you give it a single file, it plays back that single file. Yeah. Right. Um, but it, you know, it can be smart around like buffering and things like that. Like mm-hmm. It doesn't have to wait for the entire thing to download. Assuming the MP4 is well formed, uh, it doesn't have to wait for the entire file to download to start playing back. And that was actually initially a, a big deal because I remember... I remember watching videos on eBombs World um, <laughs> way back when, and you know the, the initial like view links were literally click to download. You know, you'd go to click the thumbnail to watch the video, and it would just give you a link to then download some QuickTime file or real player file or something like that, and actually mm-hmm. view it locally. So being able to to you know quote stream an MP4 was was actually a pretty awesome advancement. Yeah, it was definitely. But what's the problem with that? Why don't you tell us, Phil? <laughs> well, <laughs> the biggest problem with that is people don't want just one MP4. They want an adaptive experience. They want to see uh, changing bit rates depending on how good the connection is. If you've got one MP4, it's very hard to jump to a different one at an arbitrary place and give someone a better or worse quality experience. And thus is born adaptive streaming. Yeah, so a lot of these adaptive streaming solutions such as Dash and HLS, you know, are, are generally just like a a manifest file that your player downloads and then that contains references to all these other smaller segments of the file. And then your player can pick different renditions from this manifest as it deems its own abilities. So like HLS for instance, you have a master manifest that links to different bit rates of smaller manifests and your so your player basically Initially, decides okay, I have this much bandwidth. I'll pick this manifest, and then once it gets the sub manifest, it just plays. I mean, M3U8s, which is the HLS manifest, is literally Winamp, Winamp's old playlist format, which I think is pretty amazing. But yeah, we should say these manifest files are just text files, really. Like they're just text files that that have pointers to other text files or media files, and that allows the player to then go and grab these different things as it needs them. Yeah. Interestingly, except HDS, which does actually have a binary uh, manifest format. Really? This is Adobe's HDS? Yep, true story. 
Yep, Adobe's HDS is a binary manifest format. Just to make it easier to reverse engineer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So on, on that note, actually, let's, let's talk about what the other options are. I mean, you briefly alluded to a few of these, you know, smooth streaming, HLS, the Move Network's initial, what I have to assume was the best of all of them, um, just died an unfortunately premature death. So let's, yeah, let's talk about a few of these and how they compare to Dash and, and why Dash seems to be having all the momentum right now. Yeah, well, I mean, for the the closest kind of ties to Dash, I guess there's you know, HDS and Smooth fundamentally are fairly similar in that they rely on an MP4. And really, I guess when we look at who threw the most into the, the Dash court from their proprietary stuff, it was probably Microsoft, you know, were heavy users of the, the early evolution of the fragmented MP4 format. So they... In that sense, I guess, you know, along with an XML-style manifest, you know, Smooth and Dash are, are fairly similar. As you know, Phil alluded to, HDS is also fairly similar and, correct me if I'm wrong, also relied on a fragmented MP4 underneath. Yep. And, yeah, similar kind of thing. Obviously, early on, early days for HDS, it was very closely tied to Flash and can't remember what version of Flash it was requires going back a while now, but it's one of those versions came out and uh, you know new adaptive streaming support, smooth. You know the where it could play it was Silverlight initially too. So you know the early desktop days here, and then of course there was HLS, which was fundamentally different. And yeah, it had that Winamp format. Um, still not entirely sure why it's got the Winamp format, and they persist <laughs> with it. To this day, every time I look at it, it's still like, right, that's different. <laughs> but um, and I guess the fundamental difference though with the the Apple stuff too is that it has the you know the transport the TS format underneath, which is for all of those that work in the uh, the video processing and encoding space, adds its own you know whole level of different processing to create a, an MP4 to a transport streamer. But quite different for packaging, obviously. The same, you know, video codecs live through all of this stuff too, which might be worth mentioning. You know, most adaptive streaming has been and is to this day H.264, AAC audio. You know, they're sort of the, the fundamental blocks that sit underneath this. And, yeah, also coming from that HDS and Smooth is that MP4 format, which has evolved into the ISO standard for the base media file format. So I remember as one does, getting quite excited when that became a standard, um, thinking, you know, things would uh, be you know, quite nice and easy, and here I am still uh, still battling with the base media <laughs> file format on a daily basis. So, um, But, hey, it's, it's good, and if anyone's worked with, as we were talking about earlier, the progressive MP4 format and how you then chop one of those up to be delivered, it's really takes the guesswork out of it, you know, rather than saying, hey, I think, you know, 15 minutes and 10 seconds through the video is about here. We can sort of be a lot more accurate now based on the way that that file is fragmented up. I actually once heard a story um, from one of the people in the San Francisco video meetup where he told me about why Apple picked transport streams for HLS. Has anyone else heard that story? I haven't heard that specific story, no. I've just heard it's a really old format, like like it's an old broadcast format or something like that. Broadcast, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, from what I hear, uh, it was really down to the chips that existed in the first-gen iPhones. The first-gen iPhones had hardware transport stream decoders in them. <laughs> so you could pretty much just stick a transport stream down the down onto the hardware and it would decode and render it. And from that day forward, they stuck with transport stream for kind of simplicity and backwards compatibility. That's funny. Maybe they had a Winamp decoder too. <laughs> <laughs> this may be complete <laughs> conjecture for the record. <laughs> Seems like they just reused a lot of the existing technologies. Maybe that's a... A good strategy. Well, yeah. I mean, to be fair, HLS's market penetration, I still have to assume, is I assume still greater than Dash. I mean, it's probably a little bit different now that I mean Netflix delivers such a vast majority of of you know premium content online that I have to assume that them switching over to Dash really ate away at like the the market share numbers of HLS. But I, I still have to assume that after all this time, HLS is still pretty. Up there in terms of what people are using for for adaptive bitrate streaming, especially since you know for a while it was you had to at least deliver that with Apple, and you still do. So anybody who's delivering Dash right now is probably also delivering an HLS stream. Yeah, just just from the requirement of all iOS devices, you have to deliver HLS on. I think the like maybe Netflix is is using Dash, but I think the sheer number of companies doing streaming video, most of them are going to try and stick with just one format instead of making two and doubling their their CDN bills and everything else. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the transport stream either, really. I mean, it segments pretty well and all that. Um, yeah, it's got a lot of body of knowledge behind it for broadcast in terms of quality and it's fairly light on delivery, so it's, um, yeah, it's not a bad format. Some people criticize the overhead, right? I mean, you don't necessarily need all the stuff that exists in transport streams for, you know, packet counting and all that sort of thing when you're delivering a HTTP chunk is the argument I hear a lot about why we probably shouldn't be still doing transport stream chunks. Yeah, correct. There's a lot of stuff in there which is assuming you're spraying it out over UDP network and <laughs> you know packets can arrive in any old order and you've got to reassemble it. And which you don't need when it's just chunks over HTTP, right? Nope. It's, yeah, if there's TCP underneath, you sort of no, it's going to get there. You don't need to retransmit. It's yeah, it's not so bad. So for for a while, it felt especially with HLS, kind of the big the big use case before people really cared about adaptive bitrate streaming for everyday delivery was for the live use case. And at least for a little while, especially in the video JS world, there was. I mean, anybody that wanted less than you know 10, 20 seconds, anybody that wanted to get close to real time latency, basically required. RTMP, which meant that we accepted a pull request to the the Flash, the SWF for for VideoJS that then nobody else really knew how it worked, and so it was this terrifying black box <laughs> that we just refused to touch for like two years. But I mean, what does that world look like today? I mean, Twitch, Twitch TV is is probably the closest to real time I've seen with HLS, like especially in the wild with people that are delivering live video to millions and millions of users, but Everybody else that's trying to do anything close to real time that can afford to not use a CDN still feels like they use RTMP. So, can we talk about you know what these latency requirements mean? Like, what is for the, for the everyday streamer that doesn't really care about latency? Like, what's the major pull of HLS over RTMP? Well, I mean, there's obviously a fundamental problem with adaptive streaming and live compared to something like RTMP or. RTSP or the you know the good old broadcast UDP stuff we we're talking about before, in that in those kind of 
streaming protocols. You know, you sort of encode, you produce a packet, you send the packet, right? It's pretty low latency in that process. Your, your slow part is the encoding, whereas in adaptive, you're sending out you know, chunks or segments of packets. So you've got to get a bunch of those, decide how many of those you want to group together, and then send it. So the default kind of setting for HLS is about 10 seconds, can be anything. You know, generally, low latency live streaming would be around two seconds, but you're still going to have two seconds of writing out that file before you send it or buffering it up versus where, you know, in the lower latency stuff, you're pushing it straight out. And, and even with like a, a small chunk size, you still kind of have a lot of the same problems around, for example, buffering behavior. You know, the smaller you make the segment size doesn't necessarily mean a better experience for a user. It can often mean a lot more buffering, you know, even if we say a two-second segment size of real-world latency on top of that because you have to reload manifest frequency. Frequently you have to um, have several, you know, chunks in buffer. You can't just have one chunk available at one time. You're still going to end up in a situation where you're going to end up to be, you know, four to six seconds, best case, even if you have a two-second segment size. It's, it's certainly not, you know... People seem to think you can get down to about two seconds of HLS. Realistically, that's very difficult. I mean, even best case, I think Twitcher, Twitcher doing like four second segments right now, as far as I could tell. And they're still having to hold a good amount of those chunks in cash to give a good buffering behavior to the clients. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, like what you're saying is essentially that there's diminishing returns, right? Because you want to buffer a certain amount of data before you start playing back the video anyway to make sure it doesn't start rebuffering later, right? And so no matter how small you get that segment size, you still have that requirement. Absolutely. And not to mention the fact that the, the smaller you make the chunks, eventually you start running into the fact that you're losing all of your encoder efficiency mm. because you don't, have, you don't have big enough chunks of video to make informed decisions on, on how to encode that piece. So you end up with, with actually much bigger, overall a much bigger video and glossing over the fact that people can often be on latent networks, right? I mean, <laughs> if you consider a network that might have you know a couple of hundred millisecond latency on it, suddenly if you're doing a two-second segment, you know you're doing HTTP request every two seconds to go off and get the the chunk, and you know on top of that you have to keep refreshing your manifest in HLS. So you're doing you know a good few HTTP requests every couple of seconds, and if you've got a good amount of latency, that really starts to add up on the network, right? Absolutely. Mm, yeah, combine that with you know the player gets becomes a little bit less efficient with smaller chunk sizes too, being that it can has more opportunity to change you know bit rates. So you could be shifting up and down a bit there as well, which I guess are not problems with your straight you know RTMP style um, sprays. But you know, like if you get down to um, four to six seconds, though, is pretty pretty good with adaptive streaming. I mean, if you think you know. In, Cable broadcast, if you were at about five seconds, you'd be, that's pretty good. I mean, there's still delays in, I guess, all networks um, have latency, whether it's all terrestrial or it happens to be bouncing up and down over a satellite. But yeah, certainly we, I don't think anyone solved the super low latency adaptive streaming problem despite a few few claims out there. Yeah, there's a whole other problem that is real-time video for like, you know, two-way communication Type stuff, and that's uh, I don't know that anybody's trying to use HLS or an adaptive format for that. That's that's going to be in the well realm of WebRTC and technologies still like RTMP. Absolutely. 
Right, so shall we, 20 minutes in, shall we get moving? Yeah, I think so. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Got distracted by a brief history of HTTP live streaming. (laughs) Really at the core of of Dash, we've touched on this a bit, we've got the ISO BMFF format, you know, the MPEG-4 part part 12 format, which is, um, as sure as a few of you have heard, you know, is, is what we refer to as fragmented MP4 in the industry. What does fragmented MP4 look like? It pretty much looks like an either MP4 file. Generally, at the top of your file, you're going to have an F-type and a move atom. Then you're going to have move and end app tuples cluttered through your file. So, in general, when we look at Dash, we look at two types of Dash. One is a fragmented MP4 file that is segmented, and one's a fragmented MP4 file that's not segmented. And what we mean by that is uh, whether it's literally different files in terms of its delivery and generally on disk as well. So it really boils down to uh, two ideas and what we call these is they're generally referred to as Dash Live Profile and Dash On Demand Profile, where Dash On Demand Profile is the fragmented MP4 files that aren't then segmented onto disk. And the way that works is all the segments are fetched by byte ranges. So we would have a byte range of a known set of atoms in the file and we would byte range in to grab those. Yeah, it's, and well, it's interesting to note too that that fragmented MP4 file, while it is often considered you know, as, a, as part of Dash, is actually separate from Dash, it's its own standard. And, you know, people are out there using fragmented MP4s, obviously with different streaming technologies. Um, I mentioned Smooth earlier. You know, Netflix have also used a slightly different kind of manifest setup and stuff along with some of those key ISO um, BMFF sort of underlying files. Um, another interesting one that goes hand in hand I think with that base media file format and the fragmentation is the common encryption format. And I know we'll sort of talk a bit more about encryption a bit later on but I think that and you know, this fragmented MP4 format are really there, some of your key components that allow you know all the different things you can do with Dash. And then once we have that file format, we can then create a map, we can create multiple files which represent our different renditions for our adaptive streaming. And then we can put our manifests over the top and a whole lot of you know different encryption schemes on top of that as well. I think this is interesting because you know a lot of us talk about Netflix doing Dash. And on the desktop, it's kind of not really true from that perspective, right? We know Netflix are doing, you know, fragmented MP4 delivery, and they're using, you know, the typical browser APIs you use to display Dash content. But really, is it is it Dash if it doesn't use a uh, Dash manifest formats? You know, it gets a bit debatable at that point. <laughs> yeah, same, I guess, with YouTube as well. While we're talking about that, you know, they it's the same building blocks there, but not everyone has to do. Yeah, use the Dash manifest on top, and like, yeah, the Dash manifest has its pros and cons, and it's probably one of the uh, the less elegant components sort of transitioned across from smooth streaming. Well, it is a bit nicer than smooth streaming. It's um, you know, big XML documents are probably not everyone's <laughs> favourite in this day and age either. Well, plus, there you say that. I love my XML documents. You shut your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's also just the fact that. It is a document in itself that has to be fetched. Whereas, like, if you know that you know a certain web page is dedicated to a specific video, you could potentially just deliver all that information with the initial HTML page, as opposed to waiting to, you know, request another manifest and put another step in the process of getting to starting to play that video. So, 
I think that's my understanding of what what YouTube is doing. I think it's is more on the lines of that. It's like delivering some of the data more early on, so you don't have to have that in between step. So one of the uh, interesting situations here is 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 like Andrew said. You know, the, the kind of dream of Dash was right. Here's a manifest. I can kind of chuck it in my video element, right? Kind of uh, as you can. Like if if you're using HLS, right? On Safari, I can totally chuck the source in my video element to be a HLS manifest, right? I, I, a long time ago, part of the dream of Dash was that you know we'd have browsers where you could just do the same thing, but that's turned out not to be true, right? We've ended up in a completely different world where we've ended up building EME and MSE in the browser, which is what um, we're now using to be compatible with Dash. The, this dream of here's an XML file we chuck in the, the sources list just doesn't exist, right? And I think that's that's kind of also really interesting from a perspective of, you know, part of the argument around, hey, let's use an XML manifest was, you know, this should be something that's easy to parse and easy to deal with in the DOM. But that's not true, right? We're not dealing with it as a DOM element. We're, we're loading it in through XHTTP requests. You know, and this is where the argument comes from is, is Dash really well thought through for the browser market? So we can we can talk about why Sash is a better yeah alternative there, or like why Sash came around <laughs> at all. But like this, this, I think this is a good segue into just kind of browser support in general for Dash and what the differences are here. So you know, as as both Steve and Phil have alluded to, I think one of the big features of HLS, especially on iOS devices or only on iOS devices and Safari desktop, was that you could just chuck this thing into a video element just like a progressive mp4 and it would just play back and that I mean that included live hls manifest all the, all the other stuff the downside of that is you have zero control over playback as a developer so you're stuck in the kind of the same black box of just the video element and things you don't have control over there are things like the adaptive bitrate switching right you have no control over that if you're just chucking hls manifest in video element oh uh, you know uh, you you can do it video style where you like theme the video element and things like that, but for the most part, you're you're assuming that the playback is a black box, which has ups and downs. I mean, like the the positive there is that it's incredibly easy to put an HLS video on on a web page and just have it play back. With Dash, however, with great power comes great sadness and building a lot of players. Um, but the good thing is we have MSE. The bad thing is that we have to use MSE, right? It's like a it's this double-edged sword of MSE being media source extensions. Yeah. And the API that allows us to just push bytes into the video element. Right. So instead of just chucking a file blindly into a video element, you actually have to push bytes into this API. API, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sort of opens up the player capability in the browser. And that's probably one of the most exciting things or least exciting that's <laughs> happened, depending the way you look at it, with under the umbrella of Dash is MSE. You know, like previously, think of all the different players we had to deal with, you know, whether it was a plugin or it was Flash or it was Silverlight or it was at least now got this ability to say, Hey, I'm going to throw something in this HTML5 media element, and with a bit of tweaking, it should hopefully play. And that you know does allow us to do things like Dash in the browser, which has been for me. I think that's been you know, one of the main advancements under this under the Dash umbrella. Really, it's um, yeah, certainly opens up. I, li- I really like the approach that kind of the 
the browsers that W3C has taken here where it's like, hey, you know, on the, the easiest side of video where you're just trying to play a simple file, we're going to try and make that as easy as possible. You give us the file, we'll play it back. But then otherwise, if you're trying to do something advanced like adaptive streaming or, you know, linear editing, things like that, we're just going to open up the door and just give you the pipe to push bytes into and let you take it from there. We're not going to try and be in the middle and try and be smart somewhere in the middle where we're trying to, like, you know, give you, you know, automate the adaptive streaming side of things where, you know, ultimately there will be further disagreement and people will get it wrong and we'd have even more problems if they just didn't open the door for us. So, yeah, I, li- I like the approach that they've taken there. I-, I think there's two sides of that one though, right? Because one side is I-, I would love my black box where I don't have to care about any of this. There's a chance the same thing might work everywhere. And the flip side is like, when we get to the MSE and EME world, like the standardization across browsers there has taken so long and is still in a very bad state, realistically. You know, media source extensions, yeah, it's pretty well supported across modern browsers now. EME, very variable across browsers still. And, you know, there's there's a lot of work going on still to try and standardize the, you know, the CDM API and all that sort of thing to try and get some sort of interop into the availability of these APIs. Um, Just to Define there. EME is encrypted media extensions, which we'll talk about briefly in a second. And CDM is a content decryption module. So these are these are both things around delivering DRM content within a browser. And we'll go over like the why that's people have their pitchforks out about that. But <laughs> so you know, just to wrap up the the MSE, why it's like things that make it cool. Another another thing to point out here is that this isn't just cool for delivering Dash. People have also started delivering HLS cross browser. Via EME, uh, not EME, MSE. Um, <laughs> so many acronyms. Yeah. So I mean, you know, granted, it's 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 an extra step because you also have to take in the TS segments and then transmux them to MP4, so you can chuck them into the MSE API. But people are still doing. It. I mean, we're doing it with Contrib HLS and VideoJS, and I don't know. I think that's especially for people that are kind of stuck in the middle and don't want to deliver both HLS and Dash. That's an option for people right now, which is which is cool. So MSE is is not just cool for the Dash world. It's it's Kind of cool for anybody that's able to get well-formed MP4s into, or you know, the right bytes into the MSE API, which is pretty awesome. And you know, this is this is getting to a lot of the internet now. You know, MSE is available on you know a good, I think, sixty percent was the uh, last last number I read of the internet, which is pretty huge if you think about it. You know. The places where we're we're struggling now, realistically, are old IE, right? Real big problem with corporate networks, a lot of people with old machines not wanting to upgrade or, or can't upgrade. But realistically, if you've got a modern IE or if you've got a modern Chrome or if you've got a modern Firefox or Safari, you've got a good, solid implementation of media source extensions, which is great. And let's, let's just uh, clarify if that's by you mean 60% of browsers, I guess, now, because the next challenge we've got is there's browsers and now there's a gazillion other video playing devices <laughs> that don't support MSE. So, and I said that'd be desktop browsers too because MSE support on mobile is sort of another thing altogether, isn't it, where it's completely different. So, Very true, very yeah. true. Um, which is sort of, that's been the other problem, I guess, with Dash at the moment is yeah, what desktop's been getting better, it's sort of still been fairly hit and miss on, on mobile, obviously, zero support effectively on iOS. So some people have done some interesting stuff to port some iOS-based players. And that is, um, you know, we'll see how that pans out with some new developments coming up. 
the you know, I guess the other side, Android is being a bit all over the place with its dash. I guess there's some yeah, quite often relying on third party players. So there is a lot better support built in from the ground up from sort of four dot three onwards. So yeah, the future looks fairly good there. However, you know, and I think all oh, you guys will agree, every one of these players has its own little idiosyncrasies and does everything a little bit different to to everywhere else, which is you know, can be quite challenging. Well, the irony there is that that's roughly the same story as HLS on Android. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if anything, HLS is worse on Android. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, so let's move into like the early adopter. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned device support. That's like a great segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which was kind of how things have picked up recently around device support and and who's actually delivering this. You know, the early adopters, YouTube and Netflix, notably, were kind of the ones that initially struck out down the dash path before everyone else had had really even started HBB TV, which is a European OTT. Uh, what does it stand for, Matt? Come on, what does it stand for? <laughs> TV. <laughs> googling, Googling. Television is a TV, I'll give you that much of it. Yeah, I knew that part. I actually have no idea what HBB's part stands for. Hybrid, I can't, I'll never forget which way they go around, but Hybrid Broadcast Broadband Television. Just because we needed another acronym. <laughs> um, this is definitely something the video industry needs. Basically, an attempt to standardise, you know, internet connected TVs for the purpose of broadcasters is really what it is. And there's a little whole little sub sort of culture, for want of a better word, under there <laughs> called the the Open IPTV Forum that produce a whole bunch of standards on how stuff should work on these TVs, which. And now, if you know, we're talking about browsers and mobile being fragmented, and you know, look, smart TVs is just another whole world completely. Like, I don't, yeah, they need a lot more standardisation. And HBB TV was an attempt, but no one really seemed to adopt it that well. But one of the good things they did do is they were heavy adopters of the whole Dash specification. And that's certainly how I got into Dash was through the HBB TV. Stuff and you know, apart from all these bits like fragmented MP4 and MSE and EME and stuff existing around the place, the HBB TV is really sort of a full stack implementation, with the exception of the browser, where they do this strange OIPF based <laughs> specification, you know, HTML, JavaScript hybrid, completely unrelated to anything that would run on a browser. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, as far as as far as I could tell, HBB TV was actually a pretty great forcing function. You know, I remember that was kind of the thing at Brightcove for a little while, which forced us to actually implement a lot of stuff, especially on Zencoder. It was HBB TV that really got the ball rolling for us to start doing a lot more stuff with like actual monetary backing, because now there are people that were actually going to pay for it that needed it, not like the. Uh, you know, NAB cool factor thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's actually checks behind this, behind this whole thing that people really wanted to give us money to implement it. So, HBB TV, I assume, not just for Brightcove, but for other companies as well, was a was a forcing factor to actually get people to pay attention. I mean, what was it a was it a requirement in the EU along along some lines? What was the deal there? Yeah, the way it worked is, you know, the broadcasters tend to have these associations of where they get to get a particularly, you know, the free-to-air kind of broadcasters more so than the pay TV cable ones. And they'd get together and say, look, we are all going to put out HBB TV services and that all have a combined T 
target dates and testing criteria and all those kind of things and they went out with I guess all of it at the same time which yeah that's obviously gets people like us um, coding away. <laughs> and one of the markets where it's had a lot of penetration as well is, is not just Europe it's it's Australia right where you're from. That's that's certainly how I got into it so yes <laughs> that was very much what happened here too was all the broadcasters got together and went look we're gonna gonna push this out. We're gonna pick these target devices, and all got very excited about it, and ran into all sorts of complexities of free-to-air television that have got nothing to do with uh, technology. Uh, but it is available now, so if you do happen to have one of those TVs, you can play it. So. I think you're the only person with one in Australia, right, Andrew? Sound <laughs> <laughs> Andrew. I, I have more than one. <laughs> You, well, let's um, let's move on to uh, EME a little bit. You know, we talked about this briefly earlier, but uh, encrypted media extensions. I mean, this this falls right in line with broadcasters actually wanting to support a streaming format online that doesn't require something like Silverlight or Dash to deliver. So, obviously, the first question that people are going to have in that world is, how do I apply DRM to this thing? And encrypted media extensions was an attempt by the W3C to bring DRM to the browser without needing plugins like Silverlight and Flash. So this, of course, has sparked some controversy, but Andrew's actually worked with this a lot. So why don't you, is, is that a, a decent synopsis? Yeah, that's good. And I'll just jump back again to, like, for me, you know, personally, having done a lot of work with DRM and, you know, dealt with things like Widevine, PlayReady, you know, Adobe's multiple namings for its um, <laughs> DRM, you know, Apple Fairplay, you know, 15 other completely proprietary formats. The thing that underlies all this, which uh, you know, is it enabled by EME in the browser, is that common encryption format again. Once again, everyone getting together and saying, look, we're just going to use the same kind of blockchaining on AES encryption and we're going to do it roughly the same as that was the you know the big thing for the DRM world that just made things so much easier. Now there's always the complications on delivering keys and everything, which is as I think what Phil mentioned before is still where things are a little bit all over the place on EME in the browser. But that that building block has really at least got us starting on these things. And you know, as DRM does, it always uh, brings up a lot of contention and conflicting views on why we need it, but hey, you know, the people that pay want it and they won't release the content without it. So, um, you know, we do need to implement it, um, you know, in, and particularly in the browser, it had been heavily plug-in reliant before, quite over the top in terms of how sort of closed in it was and pretty bad on the you know, CPU usage and all that kind of thing, sitting there with your, your flash player open, um, you know, decoding and decrypting everything at the same time, uh, hoping you can finish your movie before your battery runs out. It's always a bit of a challenge. So Sterilizing every man trying to watch a video on a train with his laptop in his lap. One yeah. <laughs> of my friends once had a, uh, a program on his laptop where it would look at his remaining battery and change the playback speed of the movie he was watching to make sure he could finish a movie before his battery ran out. <laughs> I'm going to assume the end of that story was amazing, but I didn't hear any of it. So, <laughs> Oh no, sorry. No, You'll okay. hear it on the podcast later. Yeah, it'll be Splice in post and it'll be great. 
Oh, well, guys, that's thanks. <laughs> that's kind of the same thing we did at uh, Do Much with your puns last year. Um, so, <laughs> I'm kidding. They were great. It keeps coming up. I'm really just hurts. kidding. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about let's talk about why this is so conflicting. I mean, so I think I think the first thing to point out is that EME, for all intents and purposes, is a better experience than the way it was five years ago. You know, Flash could only take up one core of your of your uh, CPU, so you end up just chucking that thing at a hundred percent while it's trying to decode, and you. You know, melted your lap. If you were lucky, you could get through a video without killing your battery life. Not to mention the fact that Flash itself is just kind of a constant source of fun in zero days. So, to me, it's 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 an obvious win over that world. And especially as Andrew said, um, the people that actually have the content are are just simply requiring it. So, you know, I think no matter what your feelings are about DRM. If you want to watch content online, you're kind of stuck with it. I remember I got in an argument with somebody one time about uh, why this is required. And they're like, "Well, I only watch videos on this one website, and they don't have DRM." And it's like the number one piece of content was like some Minecraft movie. I was like, "All right, man, <laughs> yeah, that content doesn't require DRM, so that sounds great." But for everything else, you know, if you want to watch Captain America online within two years. It's absolutely going to have DRM on it, uh, and I mean even longer than that, right? I mean, talk to guys out at Movie, their licensing studio content from five to seven years ago. Hey, it's still going to have to have DRM if you want to deliver it online. It's 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 certainly not even a couple of years. It's it's a big deal still for older stuff. Exactly, and so I see I see DRM as a zero sum game, but I also see it as kind of one of those necessary evils where, especially if you're if you're somebody like a person that's Building the technology around this stuff, like us, collectively talking. You know, if you're if you're just building players and things that deliver this content, but not the content itself, we really have very little power over what these content providers will give us. And if we say no, we're not going to apply DRM. They're just going to say, okay, this other vendor will. So, see ya. Um, so, you know, I think people people like to pretend that. As the people building the technology, we have the power to not do it. But I completely we don't. agree. I mean, it, it, it's for studios and the contracts that are the problem. It's it's not. We just implement it. You know. If, yeah, I completely agree. Well, yeah. Then there's the side of. Um, I mean, Chrome is actively dropping support for these these other plugins that do DRM, right? Which is somewhat saying. I mean, I guess now that they have EME, that's that they're allowed to do that. But like, if we were to say, you know, drop support for both plugins and not have EME, what that does is just push the movie studios over to native apps, right? And then we're off the the web completely. And um, you know, and it, I don't know. I don't think anybody here wants to see like that no. direction happen. So no, I think I think what's actually really interesting here is is how people view DRM and EME extensions in terms of. Not being a plugin because the ultimate deal is it is a plugin. You know, if you go to your Chrome settings, it shows as a plugin. Actually, um, it's, it's just a plugin, plugin. that's kind of yeah. Well, actually, it's not. When you clean install Chrome, you don't get like a Widevine plugin. You actually have to go to a website that tries to use Widevine, and then Chrome downloads the plugin in the background for you and installs it for you. It's actually really interesting that, that people kind of see it as a as not no more plugins world, whereas really it, it truly is a plugin. It's a p- more pure version of a plugin. It's fundamentally, I think, what people don't like about 
DRM, isn't it? Is that you know to be secure, it's very hard to have a completely open standard, and you know to then implement something that's secure and obfuscated and is not an open standard, it's got to be a proprietary piece of code. And I guess particularly, you know, in certain open browsers like Firefox, it's been quite, I guess, challenging for people to implement because then at the other side of it, you know, there is not really any open DRM standard. There, you're all talking. You've got the Google standard, you know, your Adobe standards, your Apple standards, your Microsoft standards. So there is that element that then needs to be incorporated with all these browsers. So, which, you know, while there has been these good open, you know, elements of making things more cross-platform and standard, is definitely where it's fallen down is with EME and the browsers. And you know, that's why we have Chrome with Widevine, IE with PlayReady, you know. Adobe, strangely enough, with Firefox and Fair Play with Safari. So, surprise, surprise. Did Marlin ever make any traction? So, Marlin hasn't appeared in any browser yet. There was some brief talk of it appearing in Firefox, but then the whole Adobe thing happened. And of course, the most interesting thing there is the latest Firefoxes also have Widevine. Someone pulled the Widevine CDM out of a Chrome build, put an API around it, and you can now use. Widevine in your Firefox install. And the reception that's got is is huge. People are really excited about that actually. You know, the idea that we might actually get to a place where Firefox is workable EME is is really huge. Big deal. Yeah, that, that was that was my understanding of, of Firefox's mentality behind it. Like, you know, they you know, the Firefox crew was not super excited about DRM in the first place, but they knew you know, if they were going to implement it, they weren't going to do it in a way that was, you know, like uh, forcing proprietary technologies. They wanted it in a way that you could have like options, right? And so mm-hmm. I think early on, Marlin was going to be that other option, but it sounds like it's moved to Widevine, which is cool. And Marlin is certainly is certainly out there in terms of devices. You know, uh, Marlin's actually one of the approved HBTV DRM technologies, right, Andrew? That's correct. Yep. And uh, I've seen, obviously, Marlin's actually also the standard for something called UView out in Europe as well. It's also the DRM technology used there. That's, I think, the only place I've really seen it in use. I think the dream was in HBTV, really, that a lot of people would use it. And the vast majority of usage I've seen somehow ended up still being play-ready on HBTVs. Yeah, it was definitely, um, I mean, that's once again, too, I guess, with same with the browsers, with all the other devices, once you implement DRM, you're sort of you're implementing someone else's proprietary code to do all that decryption and key exchange and everything. So it's um, a matter of who's you pick and how you implement it, which is up to every every player maker or browser maker. Well what is the you know before before we move on, like what is what is the reception in the wild look like right now for EME? I mean, I know Netflix, Mubi, YouTube, it, it feels like a lot of the big players are, have have actually started moving this direction already, um, and Netflix has been doing it since before it was public APIs, as far as I can tell, at least in Chrome. Yep. But yeah, I mean, but how does how does reception look in the wild right now? Look, it's certainly it's a re- very real thing now. I guess you know it's certainly moved from being, as you say, pre-release. You know, some particular customers been able to get access to the APIs to fairly. There's a fairly good support. Around the place, amongst you know, either people implementing themselves or service providers providing solutions that give you, you know, desktop DRM in the browser without a plugin, um, you know, across as many browsers as you can possibly support. So it's looking pretty good, and for hopefully, we'll 
need need less plugins as we go forward for particularly for players, which really has boiled down to less flash and less silverlight. Although yeah, there's been quite a few other plugins around there. The the Google Widevine one was another one that people may have been forced to install for a while. Um, so yeah, no, looking good and getting better. It's actually, I mean, I think that's, I think overall that seems like a positive thing to me. I agree, and, and there's some really interesting stuff going on. Um, I'm looking forward to FOMS. FOMS should be great this year. Uh, reminder, that's the 12th of October in San Francisco. FOMS-workshop.org if you're interested. Um, I think there'll be some really interesting conversations there. Uh, the EME specs are a really interesting point. I don't know how much you guys were paying attention. I, I'd love to kind of dig into this. I was, I was thinking maybe we should have a DRM cast at some point where we just didn't talk about DRM for an hour. Oh, but, I would get all of two listeners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really boring. Just like uh, the cat, the the one that we do on ad specs. Those, those two will probably be the the raging uh, successes. <laughs> Who's interested about Vast 2.0, guys? <laughs> no? no one? Oh, okay, just me. I need more interactivity in my ads, please. I need to punch monkeys as they come across. You remember that banner ad? <laughs> yeah. That's what I want in my videos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually spent a slight side note. We actually spent a lot of time talking about interactive ads over the last uh, seven days. And boy, was that a painful conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, the one thing that everyone loves more than DRM ads. Huh? <laughs> I, I actually want my ads to be DRM'd. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want people seeing my ads. I think one of the interesting things is the Free Software Foundation has been anti EME for well, since since it came about. You know, they had a big thing, you know, say no to DRM and HTML five and then they're still running on this direction. I think over the last, uh, my, I think it's the last four or five weeks, they put forward a, a suggestion as to how we can get to a place where the FSF will support EME, which I think is really, really huge, really exciting. And I'm, I'm really hoping that's something we, we go over when we get to FOMS later this year. It'd be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember the blog which you're talking about. We'll, we'll post a link to it on the Demux Twitter account, at Demux on Twitter. After this, but oh, there's a, there's a plug. Yeah, <laughs> follow us, please. Be my friend. <laughs> like uh, and subscribe, guys. <laughs> um, so we're we're running we're running a little bit into time constraints here. So I wanted to move on to kind of the big news of the last WWDC. Clearly, it was not a new iPhone or uh, <laughs> MacBook Pros with OLED touchpads above the keyboard, like everybody. I'm so bitter about that. Oh, I'm my, so bitter. I, I want my new MacBook. Just crushed. I used. I tried to use a Pixel for like six months, waiting for a new MacBook to come out. <laughs> God, I just bit the bullet. It's like two years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, imagine using SSH client that's actually like a Chrome app. It's not fun. I know some people use Pixels very well for web development. Not for me. But so I, I think I think some of the biggest news out of WWDC 16. You know, and I'm obviously biased because video news was cool to me. But some of the things that they quietly announced around video support in iOS and desktop Safari uh, was pretty astounding. And, and some of this, uh, specifically the big one, which was Fragments and MP4 support in HLS being officially supported. Cheering. We're going to insert some cheering into this, right, Ted? Uh, Yay! <laughs> the uh, yeah, Fragments and MP4 support officially being in HLS. I mean, this is one of those things that. 
I may have heard from people that heard drunkenly from people at parties that worked at Apple that this was going to be a thing <laughs> that was supported or you could quietly do in Safari as of like six months ago. But actually having it be announced and in the wild is is pretty cool. So you know what what are the implications of this for the video world. I mean, clearly we're not going to be able to standardize around manifest yet, but what does this mean just being able to say, okay, we can we can do away with TS delivery and just go to uh, fragmented P4 pretending that iPhone 4s didn't exist anymore in the wild. You know, <laughs> what what does this mean for everyone? I think it's huge, right? It's it is a huge step in a more unified direction. To a certain extent, I guess the, the we'll we'll come on to the the flip side of it in a second. But you know, to a certain extent, it is a, a massive step forward. You know, we've got uh, Apple finally sitting there and saying, "Yeah, TS probably isn't the best thing to deliver over HTTP." You know, as we talked earlier, you you don't need a lot of the features that are built into transport streams these days. And I think it's 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 I'm really appreciative that Apple have really sat down and said, "You know, okay, here we are." But I think, like you said, we're, I think the flip side is we're, we're not going to see a standardization on manifest delivery at this stage. If Apple were going to go in that direction, they would have announced by now and we would be in a place where, yeah, we were delivering a single manifest format everywhere as well as media format to, to most places. I think, though, as you also touched on realistically, hey, this is great for anyone who upgrades, what is it, iOS 10? Is yep. it they're releasing? Yep. yep. So this is going to be great for everyone on iOS 10. Who else is going to get it? No one. You know, um, I, I think this is a difficult situation we're now in. It's not a case of you can now deliver one thing everywhere. It's a case of hey, you still need fragmented MP4 because you want to do Dash and you want to do HLS with fragmented MP4 to whomever can take it. But unfortunately, yeah, still going to need transport stream based HLS for a much longer time. Hey, man. 2026 is not only going to be the year of the Linux desktop, it's also going to be the year <laughs> of fragmented MP4 everywhere. It's going to be great. <laughs> But of course, I, and that's the other kind of side I was going to come on to is, yeah, it, it sounds great in theory, but let's face it, the flip side here is we're probably, maybe, it's, it's a bit debatable, but I'm not entirely convinced we're going to get fragmented NP4 everywhere because of the Alliance for Open Media. The flip side of this is we have VP9 being packaged usually as WebM when you want to do Dash with it. There is no, there is a proposed Format for containing uh, VP9 chunks within an FMP4 container. It's one that Netflix has been working on. It's how Netflix do a lot of stuff already. That sounds like a turducken of terribleness. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I, I, there's nothing wrong with the box model, right? There's nothing wrong with the Adam model. I'm not hugely hugely opposed to the Adam model by any stretch of imagination. It, it works very well. It's well understood. You know, there's a reason we're, we're standardizing around that stuff. But at the same time, yeah, I don't see the Alliance for Open Media when they publish AV1, as it's going to be called, are really going to, going to settle on a place where they package that using MP4. And look, you sort of sum up the whole standards and adoption landscape there really isn't it so as we take one step forwards we take two sideways <laughs> <laughs> and keep going so um, I mean it's certainly it's it does hold a whole you know level of hope where yeah I mean now at least there's a whole lot of clock cycles that potentially could be saved in a few years once everyone's on iOS 10 in terms of not having to generate that that TS encode as well as the the MP4 encode and really, you know, if you're just having to generate another manifest that's that, you know, by all looks at at it so far looks fairly 
straightforward. There's obviously always a devil in the detail and how it all works. Um, but yeah, it would definitely, you know, you almost translate your your SIDEX, which is your index in your, your fragmented MP4 straight into this HLS, you know, manifest format, which is a, you know, an easy way to deliver these same files. So, you know, and also then having them say they've adopted the common encryption format as well, which, as I mentioned before, is my my favourite little one. It's um, it's yeah, it's pretty pretty encouraging, really. So. Well, how does how does that work without EME support? And I mean, yeah, explain like I'm five. How does that work with EME without EME support in mobile devices like iOS? Which I assume I didn't hear anything about that coming down the pipeline. Yeah, well, it's yeah, you you're going to need a native app. To um, access uh, the, the APIs and everything to play that fair play content, so that's generally you know what's going on and how you need to set it up and authenticate your app and do all the key exchange and everything. So, but however, that's you know that's pretty pretty unusual to have a you know a premium you know movie video outlet on a mobile without an app anyway. So it's probably not so bad. Yeah, that's fair. So. Finishing off with with kind of the high level uh, things we want to talk about, Phil, do you want to tell us about CMAF? What the heck is CMAF? <laughs> what the heck is CMAF? It sounds like another standard, and if there's one thing I love, it's more standards. So, <laughs> the best thing about standards is you can always have one more. No, no, there's there's no standards. There's just so many to choose from. <laughs> best thing about standards is just so many to choose from. Come on, guys. Call yourself software engineers. Anyway, so <laughs> CMAF is one of these things that's been bouncing around in uh, MPEG user groups for, I think, maybe a best part of a few months now. It stands for Common Media Application Format for Presentation of Segmented Media. So the idea is this is kind of a uh, a bit of an extension on top of things like, well, in, in particular Dash and HLS, but coming to a place where we decide what formats are, are good for containing those things. So really it's kind of a, a standardization around ISO BMFF, making fragmented media files. It sets a load of limits, kind of one track, how the time spans work. It also starts to set up agreements around what, protocols can be in there, what media types can be in there, what caption format you use, and kind of how you do DRM systems and that sort of thing. It's quite exciting. It's really a standard that's a collection of standards would be a good way of arguing about it. It's quite it's quite interesting though. It should hopefully get us to a place, again, <laughs> this is a dream, right? A place where everyone agrees on the same sort of things. I think what's really interesting is Apple are involved. And you know, as we, we kind of said, Apple were involved in Dash in the early days. This certainly encompasses more than just Dash, which is which is good. It certainly still continues to have HLS in there and that sort of thing. But I think it's certainly a stepping stone and obviously Wait, so help help me understand where this fits in the ecosystem. Is it like a competitor to, to Dash? Is it something that might be inclusive of like where does it fall in the scheme of things? The way I would read it is um, Dash is part of CMAF. So we get to a place where someone can say they're CMAF compliant, which would mean they, they can do Dash and HLS and uh, MP4 and we can use the common media format, ISO BMFF with it. It's kind of mostly a collection of standards, which everyone agrees to a particular set of them and then hopefully everyone can kind of say, are you CMAF compliant, yes or no? Um, so it is 
like super opinionated, I would hope, right? Like it is going to say like dash or HLS, not try and be an umbrella where it's like you can use either as long as you do it this way. Uh, yeah, um, I really think the, the overwhelming it's going to be dash. I'm not 100% convinced where Apple is sitting in this. You know, Apple's involvement is certainly they're going to be standardizing as far as I can tell around the ISO-BMF stuff within CMF. There's some minor changes there, you know, mostly restrictions, uh, nothing other than that too exciting, but really just just focusing in that area around kind of manifest and that sort of thing. Mm, good luck. Uh, I'm hmm. not 100% sure how that's going to kind of play out. Hmm. Yeah, look, it's got some fairly broad and enthusiastic goals, which is is great. And obviously these things will take a while to work through. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's def- certainly I think addresses some of the deficiencies of where Dash, you know, sort of leaves off and where some of the, you know, initiatives around the edges have been, you know, going on Dash at the moment. Like how do we improve that network delivery um, in the variety of different scenarios you can deliver over a network, whether it's yeah, streaming, download to own, you know, live broadcast. Yeah, there's all those, that kind of stuff, I guess, hopefully it'll tackle. And also, I guess they've got to, you know, there's a mention in there too of trying to tackle the other area where it's been somewhat challenging with Dash, which is that, you know, the server and client side ad insertion as well and bringing in a bit of a closer alignment with you know some of the other the ad ad insertion standards like this SCUDI thirty five, Vast, VMAP, etc. Which you know for anyone who's tried to do ad insertion in Dash, it's is challenging at the moment, and certainly could do with some phrase non-existent would be the phrase. Yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> some some um, standards brains on it would certainly be good. What amazes me here is uh, we've just talked about Dash for one hour six minutes, and what we haven't talked about is is the big elephant in the room, the big dash problem, right? Had anyone else noticed that or was it just me? We touched uh, on yep. some of these things a little bit. Design by committee is always a problem. Well, we can start, I think we can start with hands up who's read all of the dash specs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nobody's hands went up in case anyone's curious. You realize we can't see each other, right? <laughs> From our experience, you know, we've got a lot of collective experience in the room about making dash manifest, making dash media playing back dash media, loading manifest, parsing of things, building players. The one thing that we will all appreciate is just how distributed dash features are. You know, Dash is a huge spec that encompasses tons and tons and tons of features and tons of ways of doing things. And no two players really implement those sets of features. Certainly if you're on a you know HVB 1.5 device versus you know Dash JS in the wild versus you know BitMovins player versus um, any number of the other players that are on the market, you're going to have a different set of Dash features supported. And that's a really big problem right now. You know, there, there is no one Dash manifest that's going to play everywhere. I think the bright side out of that is is 99% of the time it is a manifest problem. You know, if you have to generate seven or eight different manifests, or you have to kind of dynamically generate a manifest, that's actually relatively easy. You know, overwhelmingly, the media we deliver is going to be the same. Um, I very rarely come across a device where I have to manipulate my media to make it play. It's, it's usually I don't like your particular way you do manifests, but that's a that's a big problem. And there's been a, a bunch of work and a bunch of people try to improve that, right? I mean. 
HBB TV 1.5 and 2.0 add limited subsets of the dash specs. Dash 264 or DVB dash that's called in Europe again does the same sort of thing. So I think I think from that perspective, it's it's there are places we're trying to get better with it, but I I don't think it's by any means a, a solved situation right now. You know, the fact of the matter is there's like probably 40 companies in the Dash IF at this point, and they all argued to get their own little bits and bobs here and there in the spec. So, you know, I think we've we've made our 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 bed and now we need to well, we are lying in it. So now we need to burn it. <laughs> now we need to burn it. Yeah. <laughs> what we need is a new spec. Sash. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think that that's uh, probably all we should cover today in terms of the dashcast. But you know, I think we should, looking forward, we should talk about maybe doing. We've we've touched on things like the Alliance for Open Media, so it'd be really interesting to get somebody in and, and talk a little bit about that, and maybe even go into more about DRM and EME and what exactly that that means for both us as engineers um, working with it and the end user. I, I would really love to get you know the guys from the SFF in on that. You know, let's sit them down with a studio guy on the other side of the table. <laughs> Absolutely, metaphorically yeah. fight it out. Why not? Um, but yeah, I think that I think that covers it for today, at least. So, thank you, Andrew, for joining us all the way from Australia. I'd like to mention that we were across three time zones for this one. Hmm. So, but thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, until next time, everybody. Uh, this is the Demux Podcast. So, talk to you later. Bye. 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 That's all we have for today, but as always, we'd love to hear what you thought, even if you disagree, so please reach out on Twitter at Demuxed. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 